0: Lock Talk Radio.
1: How's everybody doing I was doing just peachy until my computer started beeping like a motherfucker. <laughs> oh boy. Alright so today obviously we have a show today. I didn't I didn't uh tweet in advance. It was 50-50 as to whether or not we'd be doing a show today. Today is Lobber Day. Um also known as Labor Day. <laughs> if you didn't understand my weird pronunciation. Um so I got like a thousand Bernie Sanders stories. I'm not kidding. I mean, listen, it's not it's not like when I'm prepping for the show, I'm like, okay, time to find a thousand Bernie Sanders stories, but they just pop up. They pop up because he's doing good shit, and when somebody's doing good shit, you got to talk about it. You got to give him credit. There's enough terrible nonsense in this world, and this is uh, some positive stuff. So anyway, um, I also got... Biden on the campaign trail, and if he's not stuttering and stumbling and forgetting basic things, he's making stories up. And so MSNBC is going into uh, scramble mode to defend him as vociferously as possible. We got a story about uh, Tommy Lauren, also known as Tomato Lorenzo, in the show. And uh, later on in the show, we have an update on impeachment The slow drip of impeachment, and then also Chris Hayes is going to repeat the laziest, most bullshit talking point you've ever heard in your life, which is a shame because there was hope for Chris Chris Hayes as, uh, you know, one of the least bad options still remaining on MSNBC, which I know is very – it's a tough competition there for the worst, but (laughs) he was hanging on for dear life, and now he's just done. By the way, for people in the Bahamas, goodness gracious – my heart goes out to them because uh, there's a Category 5 hurricane that's just absolutely walloping them as we speak. And it, it, it's like moving at one mile per hour, which is just, that's beyond insanity. I mean, when you have like 165 mile per hour winds hitting you and the hurricane is moving at one miles per hour or one mile per hour, it's like that means that those winds are just going to keep hitting you for an extended period of time. And that is incredibly dangerous. There's definitely going to be a pretty high death toll from this hurricane, which is just totally heartbreaking. Um, and I know uh, Florida is bracing for, for impact as well. But it looks like the hurricane's kind of moving northward, or it should make a turn northward, according to all the models and what they're predicting. But goddamn, the heart goes out to everybody in the Bahamas. That's terrible. Um, so that's the, that's the heartbreaking news. But there is some, you know, it is Labor Day, so we do have some, some good stuff to talk about here. Ro Khanna tweeted today on Labor Day, uh, here are 10 reasons to thank unions in America. Weekends, holiday pay, overtime pay, Social Security, minimum wage, eight-hour workday, child labor laws, 40-hour workweek, collective bargaining workers' compensation. So that's the good stuff about today. That's the good news from today is that it's Labor Day, and there's a lot of stuff that we can be thankful for in terms of celebrating unions and collective bargaining in this country. We actually have a vibrant history of collective bargaining and uh, workers fighting for their rights, and that should continue. So Roe is correct about all the things to thank unions for, and hopefully we'll add some more things to those lists, to that list, I should say. And there goes the beep. McBeepington again. That's gonna happen all show, and it's gonna piss me off all show. <laughs> all right. So without further ado, let's get started. We're gonna let's do all the Bernie Sanders stories first because they're never ending, and they're all really good. So shit, motherfucker, come on, man. This fucking beeping. I hate this shit. Fuck you, fucking shitty-ass, dumb-ass laptop. I, I refuse to continue the show until we fix this. Refuse. <laughs> also known as, there's not going to be a show, because this thing is not going to fucking listen to me. Can we go through one show without some sort of a fucking bullshit problem. Remember the bee from the last show? I updated that. Or I not updated it, uploaded that clip so everybody could get their enjoyment out of me scrambling and being fucking creeped out by a giant, annoying-ass bee. That thing was uh, Mondo, by the way. Mondo Bee is my nickname for the bee that ruined the show last week. Oh, come on, man. Please, please, please shut the fuck up and work. Okay, thank you. Still gonna beep, but who gives a shit? All right, here we go. So Bernie Sanders dropped another awesome policy at one of his rallies last week. Uh, this made this made quite a bit of news, and I don't think that the way it was covered reflected the way people feel about it. So let's take a look, and then we'll talk about it.
2: for What crime did you commit? You had a serious illness? That is not what this country should be about.
1: Eliminating all medical debt. Damn. So uh, it was last week, I think that it was the the Washington Post back and forth that led Bernie to make this decision and run with this policy. Uh, But there was a study that came out recently, which found that over 500,000 Americans um, go bankrupt as a result of medical bills. And the Washington Post cited that story. And then when Bernie made that same claim, the Washington Post did a fact check where they said, (laughs) Bernie Sanders! Three Pinocchios out of four. That's, I mean, come on, Bernie. 500,000 medical bankruptcies? Well, actually, the way it works is those people also had some other bills, and even though medical bills was the main cause that was the majority of their debt, you can't say that it's medical bankruptcies because there were other factors that played into it. Stupid Bernie. Uh, So everybody and their mother in the entire country opened up the bowels of hell on the Washington Post and said, this is the most tedious ridiculous, work-backwards-from-your-conclusion nonsense, nitpicking, nuanced, trolling garbage. And, you know, to the point where um, Bernie Sanders and his campaign released a statement asking the Washington Post for an apology and a retraction, and they are correct to do that because they are factually correct. In, in fact, the real number is over 500,000, about 530,000 Americans, um, end up going bankrupt because of medical bills. And by the way, the Washington Post spoke to the author of that study, and the author was like, yeah, Bernie's correct, and uh, Washington Post is wrong. But they still went with three out of four Pinocchios. So I think it was that which then led Bernie and his team to say, number one, come on. Number two, okay, you want to play this game? Here we go. And they came out with this brilliant policy, which it actually – bugs me that it never occurred to me before because we have the conversation about free college and then linked with free college is this idea of eliminating student loan debt, which is a wonderful idea. Uh, But when we have the conversation about Medicare for all, moving to Medicare for all, it never occurred to me. And we never also spoke about, well, what about the people with outstanding medical debt, which could very well lead to their bankruptcy? And now Bernie Sanders stepping up and saying, yeah, we're going to eliminate all of that. This isn't the milquetoast nonsense of Kamala Harris of like, oh, if you have student loans, we'll help you eliminate a certain portion of it if you open up a small business in an area where there's an excess number of feral cats and blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. She came out with this incredibly specific, ridiculous proposal on student loan debt. And, of course, got Elizabeth Warren, who inches a little further in a, in a better direction where I forget what the exact percentage is, but she eliminates – some percentage of student loan debt that's more than Kamala. And then Bernie steps up and is like, yeah, we're going to get rid of all of it. We're going to get rid of all of it. And now on medical debt, the same thing. So, of course, the reaction was what you'd expect the reaction to be from the lazy establishment hacks. And what I call this is a status quo bias. And what they do is they get, like, outraged and almost offended at the idea that we can make any big structural change. And so they act like it's not possible to do these big structural things, even though it is possible. And they don't provide any argument. They just – they have nothing but scorn for the stuff that Bernie Sanders is trying to do. Uh, Jennifer Rubin was one of them who responded to a story. The Hill tweeted out the story of Bernie wanting to eliminate medical debt – and and she responds, she's like, <laughs> I want to talk to some bankruptcy lawyers. Why? <laughs> Why? And and just so everybody knows, if you're thinking like, Wow, well, come on, how can we afford that? It costs eighty one billion dollars to eliminate all medical debt in this country. You know what the one year military spending increase was in twenty seventeen? 80 billion dollars so for the amount of money we spent adding on top of our already bloated military budget in one year is the amount of money it would cost to get rid of all medical debt you didn't see or hear a single argument or a single pundit say when they just added 80 billion dollars in one year uh to the to the war budget because that's what it is you didn't hear anybody say, "Well, yeah, let's be serious. How are we gonna pay for it? How are we gonna pay for it? How are we gonna pay for that? How are we gonna pay for it? How are we pay for it. Pay for it." You didn't hear it. Why? Because some things they just take off the table and they grandfather it in as like, "Well, this is this is this this is the serious stuff that we need to spend on." And I don't want to hear any you know silly claptrap about how, oh hey, maybe we can't afford this stuff. All serious people agree that these things are off the table and we obviously have to do it because of, like, I don't know, national security or whatever. So think about that. We actually did not need $80 billion more on the military budget. If anything, we needed a – and sorry for the beeping in the background. This battery is fucking shot. Um, If anything, we needed a giant reduction in the military budget. And But still, nobody said, hey, even if we kept the spending the same, it'd be too much, never mind adding $80 billion. So it's just this assumption, this default assumption of like, this is serious people in Washington, D.C. doing serious things, and that's why we have to spend a tremendous amount of money on the military and continue to be the world's empire.
3: But
1: when it comes to something as serious as eliminating medical debt for our fellow citizens, when over 500,000 of them will go bankrupt, as a result of those medical bills, all of a sudden, you have people coming out saying it's not possible. Of course it's fucking possible. It's absolutely possible. In fact, not only is it possible, it's incredibly simple as well. It doesn't require any, like, you know, new giant bureaucracy or anything of that nature. It's a debt jubilee. There's historical precedent for this in a variety of places. And again, it's not even that much money, relatively speaking. We spent $7 trillion when all is said and done in Iraq. trillion, and we have nothing to show for it. Another $2 trillion in Afghanistan. And guess what? Today, the Taliban controls more of the country than they did when we originally invaded. We wasted trillions of dollars on the war on drugs with the stated goal of limiting or eliminating the number of people taking drugs, and the number is the same, if not more, than it was when we started it. And now we got hundreds of thousands of dead dead bodies on our hands as well. So we have all the money in the world for these incredibly dumb backwards priorities, which empirically did not work. But when you talk about doing something as simple and straightforward and moral as eliminating student loan debt, all of a sudden that's not possible and we shouldn't discuss it and it's silly left-wing nonsense. And by the way, if you agree with the logic of Medicare for All, which 70% of the country does, you're also agreeing to the logic of eliminating, eliminating the debt associated with medical bills that predates it. Because what you're saying is, hey, it is immoral to have a for-profit system when it comes to health care. That beeping is going to drive me fucking crazy. We'll address that when this story's over, when this segment's over. But if you are agreeing to the logic of Medicare for All, you're also, perhaps without even realizing it, but you're also agreeing that medical debt is, is incredibly immoral and unethical, and for the record every other developed country medical debt is not a thing it's not a thing it doesn't exist it's not an option you put those two words together they'll look at you like you're crazy what do you mean you know how it works here sick help end of conversation sick help that's it you're gonna go potentially go bankrupt because of medical bills is that what you're gonna do you're gonna go bankrupt because of medical bills because you got sick you got hurt you got some sort of disease and so now, sorry, but we're going to have to declare bankruptcy, and we can't even afford the mortgage on our house anymore. We can't afford to pay the light bill. We're in financial ruin as a result of getting sick. Think about how insane that is. And people are going to nuance troll and act like, this is this even possible? I don't even think it's possible. I've seen, I've seen uh, segments on YouTube of a bunch of idiots who are like, Well, uh, here we go again. Bernie, see, now he wants to eliminate medical debt. Well, he keeps adding things to the list, does he? He keeps adding things to the list. But this is, like I said, if you agree to Medicare for All, which every other developed country has one version or another of a single-payer system, you're agreeing to the logic of eliminating medical debt. Bernie didn't come out and say, hey, I'm going to declare that everybody gets a free Xbox. I'm going to declare that, you know, whatever. We have um, a universal program to give everybody a free lifetime pass to the movie theater. No, it turns out when he's talking about consumer goods, he hasn't said, let's have the government fund it. Let's, you know, uh, have a, a totally socialist economy. No, he's saying the basic necessities of life are things that should be off the table in a civilized society and perhaps funded with our tax money. And he's correct about that. He's correct. We have cops. We have the fire department. We fund our infrastructure. So what Bernie's saying is let's add a few more basic things to that list, just standard social democratic stuff here. All we're talking about is health care. All we're talking about is education. We're talking about things that the overwhelming majority of the American people agree with and believe in, and he's going to be treated like a buffoon for mentioning this. Well, you know what? Talk to somebody who has medical debt and who's on the brink of bankruptcy and ask them what they think about this. Because my guess is regular people have a very different take than the talking heads in the media and then the smug-ass pundits who act like, mm, this is even possible? I don't even think this is possible. I don't even have in this conversation. Spending money to
2: actually help the citizens of a country? No. My
1: God. How could you? He's a serious person proposing serious policies. And all the people who are acting like he's not serious, ironically, are not serious. They're the buffoons. They have no idea what they're talking about. They have no idea what this entails. To act like this is some sort of Looney Tunes idea. I mean, seriously? So you are going to proudly stand on the side of medical... I'm pro-medical debt. That's the side you're going to be on? And you think you're going to win that debate? (laughs) I dare Donald Trump in the general election to try to take Bernie on on this issue. I dare you, Donnie. I dare you. I dare you. And that's the other part that's so brilliant about Bernie Sanders, is that... He he uh, plants a flag and then he forces people who disagree to make the argument. Okay, so you're against him on this. Now now the burden is on you to go ahead and make an argument as to why he's wrong and why medical debt is a good and necessary part of our economy. Floor's yours, by all means. I'll wait. And what you do is you actually expose people when you do this. You expose people. And um, my guess is. What goes on in these people's minds when they, when they initially react, like, how could, we, how could we change such a thing? Like, in, in the heat of the moment, they don't realize that they sound as ridiculous as they sound. And then in retrospect, people will look back, you know, 30 years from now, you look back at those guys and say, whoa, really? They made an argument against eliminating medical debt. Why? Why? And the answer is, the status quo bias some don't get me wrong some people are just flat out corrupt and you know they're funded by the industries that would be hurt by this so some of it is just rank corruption but everybody who's not getting a, a check cut to them you know these are people who just think well what do you mean it works like this right now so how can we change it a status quo bias i don't know i'm comfortable with the status quo This is the way it is, so why change it? And usually with those people, they don't have any personal experience with something affecting them. So, I love this proposal. I'm kind of annoyed that it never occurred to me beforehand. Um, But now Bernie brought it up, and this may have been spurred on by the Washington Post picking a a fight that they shouldn't have picked. And remember when everybody was arguing, like CNN and all these smug mainstream media outlets were acting like, (laughs) Bernie's like Trump for saying that the media is biased against him. Well, what do you call this fact check, which everybody agrees is the most ridiculous fact check in human history? Add this right on top of the 16 negative stories in 16 hours that the Washington Post did in 2016. So the idea that, are you kidding me? There's massive anti-Bernie Sanders media bias. And why? Because he's an agent of actual change. And those people are very comfortable with the status quo. And I've never seen a better example of it than this right here, where he proposes a very common sense, basic idea, which doesn't even cost that much, of eliminating medical debt. And all the clowns in mainstream media, all the goofballs, come out of the woodworks to treat it with scorn without providing a single argument. Not a single argument against it. It's just scorn, looking down on it, scoffing at it. (laughs) Acting like <laughs> he wants to change stuff. He wants to change things. Yeah. That's good. That's a positive thing. <laughs> but I'm not going to go bankrupt for medical bills, so what does it matter? Right. Well, that's your that's your issue that you're unable to step outside your own narrow worldview and see the world from somebody else's perspective who maybe is impacted by this system in a negative way. So Bernie's on a roll, and I hope he keeps them coming, and I hope he takes on all the trolls and all the haters and all the detractors who want to argue against basic things that make perfect sense. Bring it on. Okay, next. Okay, we're going to talk about Kashmir now. I simply cannot wait for the reaction um, to this next segment because there will be a lot of trolling, a lot of troll reactions. All right, where's my clip? Here it is. Oh, motherfucker. Anytime I touch this goddamn thing. Beep, 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 nonstop. So Bernie spoke on the issue of Kashmir at the largest Muslim conference in the country. Take a look.
2: I am also deeply concerned about the situation in Kashmir, where the Indian government has revoked Kashmiri autonomy, cracked down on dissent, and instituted a communications blackout. The crackdown in the name of security is also denying the Kashmiri people access for medical care. Even many respected doctors in India have acknowledged that the Indian government imposed restrictions on travel are threatening the life-saving care that patients need. India's action is unacceptable. The communications blockade must be lifted immediately, and the United States government must speak out boldly in support of international humanitarian law and in support and in support of a UN-backed peaceful resolution that respects the will of the Kashmiri people.
1: Now correct me if I'm wrong, but I think he's the only presidential candidate to speak out on this issue at this point. I mean, yet again, this is Bernie showing why he's Bernie and he's the man. And he's uh he's a leader. So massive credit to him here. I now uh look forward to reading the Twitter replies to him which call him a Hindu phobe. <laughs> say he doesn't understand the conflict and all these things. By the way, I you know you guys, most of you probably saw my original segment on this issue. I, I offered the most milk toast commentary in human history. If anything, I was slightly too soft on the Indian government, but the responses and the reaction, initially they were good. But then fast forward like four days when I guess the segment uh, caught on further. And, you know, people are calling me a Hindu-phobe and and all types of nonsense. And uh, honestly, it's it's kind of embarrassing because basically what I voiced in that segment is the same thing that I'm going to voice right now, which is we're going to call this the Kyle rule of politics. I'm sure I've actually probably called three or four other things the Kyle rule already. So this is one of the Kyle rules of politics. And it goes like this. Semi-autonomous regions should be left, at worst, semi-autonomous, at best, you, you give a vote to the people living in said autonomy region to determine their own future. You understand? That's the Kyle rule of semi-autonomous regions in the world. At worst, you just keep them semi-autonomous and take a hands-off approach, and it is what it is, okay? At best, you give them a vote to determine their own future and what they want to do and who they want to be. Do they want to be their own state of Kashmir? Do they want to join Pakistan? Do they want to join India? Do, do half want to be uh, in Pakistan and the other half want to be in India? So these are all things that you need to have a conversation about and a negotia- negotiation on, and you need to have all the, the parties at the table, and you need to respect the will of, of the Kashmiri people. And, you know, that's the, you're never going to, in situations like this, you're not going to get a solution where everybody is happy, every party is happy, because, you know, a lot of people want a lot of different things. So since there's going to be no one answer that makes everybody happy, we have to default to what's the answer that is the least bad answer. And, you know, like I just laid out for you, I think, At worst, you keep a semi-autonomous region, semi-autonomous, which is just kind of keep the status quo going as it is. Um, And then at best you say, well, we'll we'll leave it up to the people of that region to determine their future and set up some sort of a a democratic approach to this and some sort of a negotiated settlement um, where you bring in leaders from Kashmir, you bring in uh, the Pakistani government, you bring in the Indian government and you have that conversation. But certainly what's happening right now is unacceptable. And, you know, again, I don't know how anybody can argue with the main point of my original segment and with the exact thing that Bernie is saying here, which is very simply uh, communications blackout. No, no. If you think you're not doing anything wrong, then why are you doing a communications blackout? Why would you do such a thing? Oh, no, the Indian government's not doing anything wrong. Modi's not doing anything wrong. And so the communications blackout is totally legit? Utter nonsense. No, no communications blackout. And that shows that they know they're doing something wrong. Um, The crackdown on medical care, as Bernie alluded to there, I've now seen multiple articles with incredible detail laying out instances of torture, Again, totally unacceptable. So, uh, you know, it, it's wonderful that he's speaking out on this issue, and we need to have some sort of a negotiated settlement, some sort of a democratic settlement on this issue. And again, worst case scenario, you just default to go back to to the, the uh, Kashmir region being a semi-autonomous region, or best case scenario, let's get everybody at the table, let's get a negotiation going, and let's have... Let's move forward from here by taking into consideration the democratic will of the Kashmiri people. So that's my, again, my incredibly milquetoast commentary on this. If you think that's, you know, I'm going too far or what I'm saying is somehow off base, then what's your solution? What's your solution? Because there's a lot of, uh, you know, troll commentary out there of just like, defending the Indian government and their actions, and defending Modi. And it's like, how? Why? You're going to go back to what happened previously, decades ago, to try to make a case based off of that? No, let's talk about the world as it exists today and what we should do from here. That, doesn't, that seems like the most rational, straightforward approach. Instead of going back in history, looking at what happened decades ago, and then trying to what? Use old grudges to move forward in a draconian and primitive way? No, that's not acceptable. So massive credit to Bernie here for um, speaking out on this issue. And uh, let's see what the fallout is. Let's see what the fallout is. But yet again, this is him leading on issues and showing why he's the candidate above all the candidates. okay we are going to move on now um cnn went after Bernie in uh, a very stupid way, which we will now make fun of. We will now make fun of this. So CNN, in typical CNN fashion, decided to cover the important issues on the campaign trail. Um, This is very typical of their Bernie coverage. Take a look.
4: 7-year-old Bernie the Cerebral Sanders couldn't resist jabbing the speed bag he passed by the other day. (laughs) (laughs) He took on the bag, but the bag clobbered him, or as one armchair analyst put it, speed bag TKO's Bernie Sanders seconds after fight began, quickest technical knockout in boxing history. Note to candidates, if you're clueless about hitting a bag, don't do it. Unless you want to become a punching bag. What a doofus. LOL, if he keeps that up, maybe he'll knock some sense into himself. Someone else took a swing at socialism, tweeting, When capitalism claps back, even the president's son, Don Jr., weighed in. This wouldn't exactly strike fear in the minds of our adversaries, but Bernie supporters thought it was cute. Float like a butterfly, sting like a Bernie. We've seen the candidate shadow box before, reacting to his doctor saying what great health the senator's in. Do
2: I get involved in senior boxing?
4: In addition to shadow boxing, we've seen Donald Trump perform a fake takedown at a WWE event billed as the Battle of the Billionaires.
1: Why? Why are you taking minutes out of your day to cover this? I saw that video of Bernie punching the punching bag a little while ago, like a couple days ago, and I didn't even notice the thing about the bag coming back and almost hitting him. I didn't even notice it. But CNN, like, seized on that moment and made a segment out of it. They made a segment out of it, guys. They made a segment. Notice what they do there, too. This is all slick. They go, they, they, she has to drop his age, right? She's like, 77-year-old Bernie. I wonder why you're mentioning his age in this conversation. Um, And then they were also reading the Daily – responses to the Daily Wire tweet that was making fun of Bernie when they – I'm sure they originally clipped this out, the Daily Wire, Ben Shapiro site. So, yeah, it's just casually – hey, this is what people were saying on Twitter totally organically. I mean, this is what the – you know, everybody's making fun (laughs) – ha, 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 Bernie, ha, so stupid, what a doofus, (laughs) ha, ha, ha. Let's read this very calmly and rationally on CNN. We're very sad we're giving you
0: very sad news. Yeah.
1: Jesus Christ, man. And then at, towards the end there, you saw the comparison to Trump. Because this is, this is all they got, man. This is all they got. Just like they did last week when Bernie spoke about how Jeff Bezos is the owner of the Washington Post. And wow, would you look at that. The Washington Post writes terrible articles about Bernie. And then they said, oh, he's like Trump. He's like Trump because Trump says fake news and Bernie said, hey, this is fake news because the Washington Post is covering me bad. They're both equally bad and like both fascist and terrible people. Ah, They're the same guy. Ah. You guys have nothing. You have nothing of substance to add to the conversation, so you just do goofy stuff like this, thinking like, ooh, maybe this will sway people away from him. Listen, the stuff that they're talking about here This is the kind of stuff that we should be talking about on this show, because we're a YouTube show, we do political commentary, you know, I like to joke around, I like to have a good time. I have myself in perspective. These people, it's CNN. They fancy themselves the number one name in news, and they took time out of the day to cover this story and talk about it seriously. I don't know what else to say about this. I don't know what else to say about this. Bernie's been rolling out policy after policy after policy after policy. Incredibly detailed, incredibly populist and amazing for the people. He's lucky if they cover a quarter of the policies, and then when the quarter of the policies get covered, he's lucky to get any favorable coverage at all. It's mostly mocking coverage for ideas that are incredibly wonderful and great for Americans. So, but this is this is what we've come to expect now. This absolutely is par for the course. And moving forward, expect a hell of a lot more of this because they're never going to give them a fair shot. They're never going to cover them honestly. They're never gonna, you know, they're never going to view politics through the lens that you want them to view it through, which is a lens of sober, objective conversation about policy and the direction that the respective candidates want to take the country. They're just simply never going to do that. And um, if you didn't know that already to this point, this should be enough for you to recognize it. Now, at the same time, and we're going to get to this story later, they're going after Bernie for joking around and punching a punching bag, okay? Joe Biden has been on a campaign trail, flat out lying, telling stories that are not true, and you're going to see how mainstream media is scrambling to act like that's not a big deal and that's actually totally fine. And and it actually means Joe Biden is a good person because he's lying in service of something that they like. So it's okay. So Biden lying on the campaign trail? Not a scandal, nothing to see here. Bernie joking around and punching a punching bag? Oh, my 77-year-old Bernie Sanders is old and weak and he's like, Trump. Is our propaganda working? No. No, it's not. All right, we're moving along, guys. I got, um, I still got two more on America's Dad, and then I promise you we'll get to other issues. Uh, all right, America's Dad was very hesitant to criticize Elizabeth Warren, so I have some thoughts on this, and I'm going to give them to you. I'm going to give them to you. Here we go. So America's Dad, Bernie Sanders, was very, very hesitant to criticize Elizabeth Warren. And um, Vice News tried to drag it out of him, but it didn't work. Take a look.
5: The problem for Sanders is that this time, none of these moves are his alone. And there's one candidate who's using his playbook especially well. You and Senator Elizabeth Warren have a lot of similar positions on issues. Why should someone vote for you over her? Well, that's a decision that someone's gonna have
2: to make. Uh, I stand with the working class throughout my life. I've taken on Wall Street, the insurance companies, the drug companies, the fossil fuel industry. She's
5: done a lot of that, too. So that's fine.
2: people make their – Elizabeth, this happens to be a friend of mine. I've known right. for over 20 years.
5: But when do, the, when, when do you have to stand up and say, my plan about X, Y, and Z is better than hers? I mean, exactly. how do you win over these Democratic voters? Well, we're winning them over them. every day.
2: I mean, that's what I do.
5: So you won't directly criticize any of her policies? It's not. Just,
2: listen, I listen, that's not what I think – that's not what I do. I mean, there will be a time and a place, obviously, where we'll. When is that? But that is a, that's a media question.
5: Yeah, but you're, you're no, not. No, 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 that's not with the American people. Right American
2: people are not coming up to me. The American people are saying, Bernie, how are you going to implement your Medicare for all? I think that
5: somebody did ask you recently, though, what's the difference between you and Elizabeth Warren? Why should I vote for you? I mean, what people
2: want to know is what I stand for,
5: and people can make that decision.
1: <sighs> now, uh, before I talk about this, I should obviously, you know let it be known that I don't know if they edited that, so it's possible they edited out little bits here and there where his answer was different. I'm not sure. But if that was his full answer, that wasn't a great answer, man. Now, I get it. I have no doubt in my mind that Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren, when they met before they both decided to run, they had a conversation, and the end result of that conversation was, I'm not going to attack you, and you don't attack me. And then there also may be a second part to that conversation, which was, okay, what position would you want in my administration? And the other person saying, what position would you want in my administration? So, and I have almost no doubt that that, that's how that conversation went. Hey, I won't attack you. You don't attack me. Deal, deal. Okay, what position do you want in my administration? What position do you want in my administration? That's definitely how that went down. However, there's got to be a couple asterisks in the conversation for when you're asked a direct question hey what's the difference between you and elizabeth warren because you can answer that question factually without necessarily attacking her you know and this is for the record something he's done against biden too like he's asked hey you know you and joe biden actually a lot of you guys share the same voters or in other words when you poll people oh who's your number one choice biden who's your number two bernie or vice versa Bernie and then Biden. There are people like that that exist, believe it or not. There are people who aren't at maybe as deeply involved in the ideological aspect of politics and, you know, it's more surface level. There are people like that that exist. And what does Bernie say? Hey, listen, I led the fight against TPP and NAFTA. He was for TPP and NAFTA. I led the fight against the Iraq War. He was for the Iraq War. And and he always says, Joe's a friend of mine. Joe's, I like Joe. And then he'll give you that very dry policy answer. Now, that's talking about the substantive issues without necessarily even attacking him. Maybe it comes across as an attack, but it comes across as an attack because Joe Biden's got a guilty-ass conscience, and and everybody knows that those are terrible policies. So he can't get mad at Bernie. What's he going to do, get mad at Bernie for bringing up basic facts about his record? Hey, maybe you just shouldn't have voted that way. How about that? How about don't vote that way, and then I won't have to give the facts and say that. So, But what I don't understand is why he can't do the same kind of thing with Elizabeth Warren. Elizabeth Warren had voted for Donald Trump's massive, bloated military budget, which added untold billions of dollars to military spending. Listen, is that a difference between me and her? Yes, I voted against it. She voted for it. She voted for Donald Trump's uh, military budget. What do you want me to tell you? That's a fact. That's what she did. So, I mean, I'm not, am I attacking her? I don't know. Elizabeth Warren's a friend of mine. You could say that too. Hey, Elizabeth Warren's a friend of mine. I really like her. Um, but there are differences between me and her. For instance, she supported this policy. I did not support that policy. She's uh, proposed her, her uh, plan on student loan debt, and she doesn't eliminate all of it. I eliminate all of it. Elizabeth Warren has voiced repeatedly that in her mind, um, while she says she supports Medicare for all, she also says there's four or five other uh, bills that are wonderful and that, are, that have the same goal in mind, which is universal coverage. I don't believe all the other bills have universal coverage in mind. The public option, Medicare for America, Medicare for All extra, these are not universal coverage plans. These are plans that would protect the status quo in the for-profit health insurance companies. My plan is to go to full Medicare for All. The only private care is supplemental. That's my plan. So there are differences. You could bring up those differences. You know, and again, it doesn't have to be it doesn't have to be an attack You could just state the facts, and then some people will perceive it as, oh, that's an attack because he's stating the differences. But the only reason they think it's an attack is because it's a guilty conscience, and they know that Bernie's correct on the issue, and Elizabeth Warren is wrong on the issue. You know, ideologically, on paper, Elizabeth Warren agrees a lot more with Bernie Sanders than she does with Hillary Clinton. But she didn't endorse Bernie Sanders in 2016. You know, Tulsi Gabbard did, and stepped down from the DNC as a result of it. So, you know, political courage. Again, you don't have to frame it in this way necessarily, but if you're directly asked the question, hey, man, what's the difference between you and Warren? You have to say, there's a difference between me and Warren. You can't act like, oh, yeah, well, yeah, leave it up to the people. Elizabeth's a friend of mine. Let's not discuss any of that. Why? 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 Because you made a pact to not attack each other? That doesn't mean that if you're asked a direct question, you can't answer in a very simple, straightforward way. There's a way where you talk about things where people know you're attacking them. There's also a way where you talk about things where it's not an attack. It's just a dry statement of the facts. And people might interpret it as an attack. But again, that's just because they have a guilty conscience and they know that you're right and they're wrong. So it's a little frustrating because, Bernie, you got to make your case, bro. you got to make your case. You can't just leave it up to everybody to be a fucking political junkie and listen to secular talk. Okay? you got to... You've got to make your argument and make your case. You can frame it in as nice a way as you want to, but you've got to make your case. Because if you're not telling people there's a difference between me and Warren, then there is going to be a subgroup of people, hundreds of thousands of people, maybe millions of people, who are like, oh, there's really no difference between Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders. What do you mean? They're both hardcore lefties, some of the furthest left senators in the country. They're basically fighting for the same thing. So what do you mean? Yeah, they're basically the same. There are going to be a lot of people with that position. Now that's not true, but they don't know. You haven't told them it's not true, so I get it. I know you made that pact. For the record, I have no problem with that pact. Some people would be like, "Oh my God, don't do that. That's you know you've gone too far. Um, that's not a good idea." No, I have no problem with two of the better candidates in the race getting together and saying, "Come on, let's you and me are cutting a deal here." No problem with that at all. But when you're asked a direct question, you can give a direct answer, and it doesn't have to be an attack. It could just be a dry statement of the facts. And then if they want to respond in kind, if Elizabeth Warren wants to respond in kind, by all means, go ahead and respond in kind. But you can still stay true to that deal that you cut behind closed doors um, while also being honest with people. Because in all seriousness, Bernie, that answer was not honest. The idea of, like, oh, you know, you didn't give an answer. Hey, what, what's different between you and Elizabeth Warren? So that's actually, Bernie, you're being dishonest. I know you're sticking true to that deal you had with her behind closed doors, but that's that's not an honest answer because there are differences, and you got to tell people what those differences are. You can't just leave it on them to, oh, let me look and let me check. No, say it. It's got to come from the horse's mouth. What's the difference? Tell me. What's the difference? Why should I support you over her? So, anyway, that's my breakdown of that. Um... By the way, the rest of that segment was terrible on Vice News. I didn't show you the rest of it, but they do the old, hey, good paper, nonsense on a variety of issues. Um, it's hostile. You could tell it's hostile. But, Bernie, you got to relentlessly make your own case, okay? I get it. You made a deal behind closed doors. That's totally fine. But you still have to make your own case, even if it's in a dry, factual way. Let's do the final Bernard Sanders story. So, this old video of Bernie resurfaced of him going off on the military and industrial complex on the floor of Congress. Um, actually, you know what? I do not know. This is 1992. I do not know if at the time he was in the Senate yet or in Congress still. My guess is Congress, but you can fact check me on that. I'm not going to pause here to pull it up and, and take a look, but um, you know, let me know in the comment section. 1992 was Bernie in the Senate yet, or was he in Congress? I think he was in Congress, but uh, here he is going off on the military-industrial complex. This is this is glorious.
2: the important amendment brought forth by Congressman Dellums and Congresswoman Waters. Sometimes I think that the people in this institution and in the White House are really losing contact and not knowing what's going on with the American people. In case you don't know and you haven't seen the latest polls, the American people hold the President of the United States in contempt, They hold this institution in contempt. They hold the Republican Party in contempt. They hold the Democratic Party in contempt. They think that maybe, given all of the crises facing this country, it's about time that there was some bold leadership here and that this institution made some hard choices. And this is what the choice is about. We're spending $270 billion a year on the military But we don't have a major enemy. I know it hurts your feelings. I know you're upset about it. I know you're hoping and praying that maybe we'll have another war. Maybe somebody will rise up. But it ain't happening. The Soviet Union doesn't exist. The Warsaw Pact is through. Who are you worried about? Iraq? Panama? Who are you worried about? I'll tell you who I'm worried about. I'm worried about the fact that our workers are seeing a decline in their standard of living. They want to see our industry be rebuilt. That's what they want to see. No more b 2 bombers, no more Star Wars. Let's make the quality products we need. Let's invest in American industry. The no, I won't yield. The American people want to see our kids educated. They want a Head Start program. They want their kids to be able to go to college. They want to wipe out the fact that 5 million children in this country go to bed hungry. They want childcare for their kids. They want decent education. Let's have the guts to give some leadership to this country. The Cold War's over. Let's reinvest in America. Let's support this amendment. same
1: gentlemen. Damn. 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 This dude was doing his thing when many of you guys were in diapers. Actually, you know what? 88, no, I was four years old. You're out of diapers by the time you're four. Um, yeah, I was I was young. I was playing with some action figures or maybe a Super Nintendo. I don't even know if Super Nintendo was out at that point. <laughs> but I was playing with my little action figures and whatnot, and that's what Bernie Sanders was doing. And and I checked uh, while, while that was playing there. Um, he was in Congress at the time. In fact, he was just in Congress. He was elected to Congress in 1991. And in 2007, he was out of Congress. So he was in the House of Representatives from 91 until 2007, and then after that, he was in the Senate. Um, but, man, he went off there, and that was glorious. Imagine if we had Washington, a Washington, D.C. full of Bernie Sanders. We would already look like Sweden, like Denmark. We would have, you know, universal health care. We would have higher wages. Um, We would have free college. We would be a thriving social democracy with a vibrant middle class. We'd have freedom on social issues. I mean, ah, God damn it. You're telling me you're not going to vote for that guy for president? Are you insane? Serious? are you insane? You're not going to vote for that dude? I have no words for you. I have no words for you. He was fighting the fight. The rants that I've done on this show about, look at all the money we're wasting on the military budget. its The next 10 biggest countries combined equal our military budget. Think about that. And none of them are our enemy. So we're wasting all this money on the military. And then meanwhile, our infrastructure gets a grade of D, D plus actually, to be fair. Um, Half of workers in this country make $30,000 a year or less. We have like 500,000 homeless people. We got all these problems, all these problems. We're just going to waste money on the military and do this imperial project around the world. I mean, I don't want that. Americans don't want that. Bernie Sanders is our voice in Washington, D.C., and he's always been fighting on this stuff. He was known as the Amendment King because he was always getting these crafty, slick amendments to help the American people through. In unrelated pieces of legislation. That's a big part of his legacy, by the way, which is incredibly important because people, oh my God, he didn't get anything done. First of all, even if he didn't get anything done, he did, but just for argument's sake for a second, let's say he didn't. Would that be his fault that he's the only sane person in what's a giant swamp? Got all these corrupt assholes around him. He's one of the only sane people. It's like a Twilight Zone episode. Bernie Sanders is the last sane person in the world. Are you going to blame him for not getting anything done? No, blame the other assholes who are blocking him every step of the way. But that's not even true. So we don't have that conversation. He did get a lot of stuff done. He is the Amendment King. There's a reason why Disney workers today make a $15 minimum wage. Amazon workers today make a $15 minimum wage. There's a reason why Bernie Sanders led the charge on ending the genocide in Yemen. It was him and Ro Khanna who were leading the way. You know who vetoed it? Donald Trump, who's Saudi Arabia's bitch boy. So this guy has been leading. This guy has been fighting. And you see it right there, man, in the 1990s, in 1992, this dude is going off because of our misplaced priorities on the floor of the House of Representatives. That's the guy we need in the White House, and that's what we're going to fight for. All right, let's take a break. When we come back, what do I got for you? Biden is on the campaign trail. And um, if he's not stuttering and stumbling and forgetting basic things, he's just flat out making stories up. And then we have Tommy Lauren gets caught in a hilarious bit of hypocrisy. You don't want to miss it. Stay right there. We'll be right back with all that and much more. Bitch. <laughs> All right, we're back. Sorry about that, guys. A little bit of a longer break there. That might be a first in secular talk history. Um, okay, so finally we're done with the Bernie Sanders show. No disrespect to America's dad, but, I mean, come on, we did five stories on him. Um, <clears throat> and there's still a lot of stuff to get to. So now it's time to go to Hansy Uncle Joseph. And um, his new giant fail. Well, this one's technically not his. It's uh, MSNBC for defending him. Okay. So Biden is on the campaign trail. And um, if he's not stuttering and stumbling and forgetting basic things, he's making stories up. So MSNBC responded to a story where Biden is making stuff up by attempting to turn it into a positive. I kid you not.
6: According to the Post, during a campaign stop in New Hampshire last Friday, Biden quoted quote, jumbled elements of at least three actual events into one story of bravery, compassion, and regret that never actually happened.
7: Young Navy captain, Navy, Navy, up in the mountains in the Konar Valley, Afghanistan. One of his buddies got shot, fell down a ravine about 60 feet. Four-star general asked me whether I'd go up into the FOB. Now, everybody got concerned, a vice president going up in the middle of this, but we can lose a vice president. We can't lose many more of these kids. This guy climbed down the ravine, carried this guy up on his back under fire, and the general wanted me to pin the silver star on him. I got up there and stand. as the God's truth. My word is Biden. He stood at attention. I went to pin him. I said, sir, I don't want the damn thing. Do not pin it on me, sir. Please, sir, do not do that. He died. He died.
6: So the Washington Post report reads like this. In the space of three minutes, Biden got the time period, the <clears throat> location, the heroic act, the type of medal, the military branch, and the rank of the recipient wrong, as well as his own role in the ceremony. According to the Post, Biden visited the Konar province in Afghanistan in 2008 as a U.S. senator, not as vice president. The service member who performed the celebrated rescue that Biden described there was a 20-year-old army specialist, not a Navy captain, and that soldier, Kyle J. White, never had a silver Star or any other medal pinned on him by Biden. After that article was published, Biden then spoke with Washington Post opinion columnist Jonathan Capehart. He suggested he was telling the story of Army Staff Sergeant Chad Workman, who did receive a medal from the Vice President in 2011 and didn't believe he deserved it, although none of the details he offered, almost none of the details he offered, matched what happened to Workman.
8: Well, you know, um, these sort of stories are following Joe Biden around uh, a good bit, not just because of this campaign, but also because of past campaigns. I'm I'm smiling only because um, politicians and preachers and Hollywood screenwriters have often jumbled the best of two or three stories uh, into one story that they use to make a much larger point uh, that doesn't uh, forgive it. Uh, But, um, you know, Gene Robinson, uh, somebody compared this to what Hillary Clinton did in Bosnia where she was talking about taking gunfire um, or many of the lies Donald Trump tells about himself. The only thing Mm-hmm. Only difference, and perhaps it's, uh, perhaps it's an insignificant difference in the, the larger scheme of things, here Biden tells a story to lift up others, oh. to glorify others. In the case of Hillary in Bosnia or Donald Trump every day on Twitter – Uh, Those exaggerations are to lift themselves up. Again, maybe that's too fine of a point. I just don't think many voters are going to say, I'm not voting for Joe Biden because he jumbled up two or three acts of heroism by our men and women in uniform uh, to praise them. Boy, I'm shocked and disgusted. Yeah, I I actually don't think that's a small or insignificant point, that distinction between trying to make
0: yourself look um, brave and heroic when you work uh, and celebrating um, and and recognizing the the heroism of service members uh, in these impossible situations. And Biden was trying to do the latter.
8: So I think the essential truth here is that he really cares about the bravery of our soldiers, he cares about kids exposed to gun violence, and the fact that he does what you and I and all of us always do is sometimes mishmash up some stories, that makes him human, not a bad person.
1: Compare this with the story we covered about Bernie Sanders punching the punching bag. Now, to be fair, that was CNN and not MSNBC, but on CNN... They cover Bernie punching a, one of those punching bags. Um, I forget what they're called, the ones that hang down, and you punch them, and they go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. You know, like my layman's explanation of this. And um, the, one of the first times he punches it, it comes back and almost touches him or maybe just taps him, and he, so he backs away a little bit. And they covered it like, ha, 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 Bernie, ha, ha, ha! got TK out by the back. Ha ha, 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 stupid, ha, ha, ha. He's like Trump because of this for some reason or something. Now, Biden is on the campaign trail, lying, just lying, telling stories that are not true to embellish them and make them sound, you know, uh, more extreme and more movie-like than they are. And they say, well, this is okay because he's trying to glorify the troops. Oh, the troops. The troops. Um, and then they're comparing with Trump. Every lie he tells is to bolster himself. They even brought up, I don't know why, Hillary's lie about taking fire in uh, Bosnia when that didn't happen. How was that to glorify anybody else? That wasn't to glorify anybody else. What are you talking about? Um, in the case of Trump, he's a pathological liar. He lies about everything, over and over. So by, so now here's the thing. Are people saying, oh, my God, this here's one isolated Biden incident, and, um, you know... That's it. No, we're saying, look at this trend. He he is struggling to get out sentences on the campaign trail and during debates. That's not an exaggeration. That's not me putting any spin on it. It's crystal clear to anybody who's, you know, maintaining even a minimum level of of objectivity watching this. He's struggling to talk. His brain is seemingly sputtering out. Um, And now also throw in stories that are a mess and that are not true, and maybe, maybe not, are a mix of three different stories that he put into one story. It just doesn't paint a picture of somebody who's in shape to be in office. Now, add on to that his terrible policy beliefs, and we got a one big hell no coming out of that formula. I'm not interested in Joe Biden because his policies are way too pro-status quo, not in favor of big structural change, and then also he seems legitimately mentally unfit um in a similar way that trump seems mentally unfit so no i'm not this is not a candidate that i'm interested in but msnbc made a decision here to cover this and instead of talking about oh my god look at how every day not even every other day every day he says something that's insane and that's wrong and that's not true and that's like a giant brain fart and they don't Talk about this honestly, where they bring up the whole amalgamation of things that have happened, they gaslight and they obfuscate and they act like, this shows he's a good person. Yay. That last guy was that's the argument he was making. It shows he's human and he's a good person. What? What are you talking about? It not 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 good, man. (laughs) Really not good. Look at the coverage of the candidates they like versus the ones they don't like. And don't tell me there's no bias. Don't tell me there's no perspective. There is. There is. The difference between our show and what mainstream media is doing is that I tell you all my beliefs up front. I'm not hiding anything. I'm very pro-Bernie. I'm in favor of a a social democratic system. You know, I don't need to go through the litany of the things I believe in for you guys because most of you already know anyway. But I'm telling you what I believe, and then we're having discussion, a discussion about various news events and various political candidates and things that are happening and whatnot. But it's all out there for you. On MSNBC and on CNN and all these outlets, they're pretending like they're above the fray and they're objective and they're just calling balls and strikes. And then they have the nerve to do segments going after Bernie because he punched a punching bag in it and it came back and almost hit him. And defending Biden when he's telling outright lies on the campaign trail. And you wonder why people despise mainstream media and trust in mainstream media is at an all time low. Well, now you know why. Because you got Fox News, which is just the propaganda arm of the Republican Party and Donald Trump. That's what they are. MSNBC, which is a propaganda arm of the Democratic Party, the establishment Democrats, the centrists, the corporatists. And you have the rest of the outlets, whether it's CNN whether it's CBS, ABC News, the nightly news, and they're just all day long an establishment bias in favor of both parties um, and a neutrality bias. So there's no – it's all biased through a particular lens, and the last thing that lens does is provide a serious, accurate picture of the world that we live in. The final thing I want to say is this. Imagine for a second it was Bernie Sanders who was making stories up on the campaign trail. What would MSNBC's reaction be? Would they play defense for him? Uh, It shows he's a good person because he's lying about the right stuff. No, they would say candidacy over, step aside, you're done. But when it's Biden, it's a different tune. All right, let's go to uh, Tommy Lawrence. So, Tommy Lauren is, uh, is big on America First. She loves the idea of incentivizing companies to create jobs here as opposed to outsourcing jobs. And that's something I happen to agree with her on. And, you know, we've, we've spoken about that quite a bit on this show, how uh, we should make it so that our trade policies don't screw over workers in this country. A- and labor should have a seat at the table for all these trade deals and these negotiations And that's incredibly important because all the trade deals, whether it's permanent normal trade relations with China, NAFTA, or any of the others, they've all screwed workers and have, you know, biased the system in favor of the owners of the companies and the mega-rich. And I'm not okay with that, and that's not not cool. So here's a a little clip of Tomato Lorenzo talking about how much he loves Made in America. This is from uh, Jordan on Twitter, so credit to him it's spliced up a little bit here but nonetheless you'll get the bigger picture let's watch that
3: president trump announced a new requirement making american products even more american as it stands products used for government projects can carry the made in america label with parts made of 50 percent foreign components but not under this president trump signed an executive order raising the percent into american components to 75 percent that's right baby Made in the USA, he talks the talk and walks the walk. America and Americans first. We should come first in our own dang country, and under this president, we do. And they, too, want Made in the USA to mean something again. Problem is, without country of origin labeling on our beef products, we are allowing greedy meat packers and foreign beef to flood our markets, our grocery stores, and our American family tables. In the spirit of Made in America, let's change that. With the stroke of a pen, much like you did with your Made in America executive order on Monday, you could reinstate country of origin labeling on our beef products. And that alone would be game-changing for our American ranchers who do not want a handout or a subsidy, just the ability to differentiate their beef from the foreign stuff coming over here without a label. But, hey, those are my first thoughts from L.A. God bless and take care.
1: So Tammy Lozenge created this clothing line, uh, and she calls it Freedom. So you can see a picture here. This is her modeling her own uh, clothes. I think it's called athleisure, so athletic leisure clothes or whatever. I don't know. Who gives a shit? Well, anyway, uh, it turns out her clothing line is made in China. Guys, let me be clear about something. This is her own clothing line. It's her own clothing line. It's made in China. So she responded to the criticism on Twitter, because there were about a 1,000 articles about this and the deep hypocrisy. And she says, like many American small business owners, Alexo, which is the company that she contracted with, aims to be made in America... We are working hard, we are working towards that. A message from Alexo CEO, Amy Robbins. We had to make a decision that millions of American companies, especially small business owners, must make when starting a business and go with the American-based company that happened to have their manufacturing facilities overseas. Due to the increased labor costs and the heightened regulations, many US-based manufacturers, uh, many US-based manufacturers face we were, okay, Oh, I'm sorry. I fucked that up. Due to the increased labor costs and heightened regulations, many U.S.-based manufacturers face we were left with little option but to manufacture overseas to start out. We're working diligently to bring our manufacturing back home to the U.S. and work with other hardworking companies that pride themselves in integrity and quality. Yeah. Yeah. The line in there that pissed me off the most is high labor costs and heightened regulations. Increased labor costs and heightened regulations. So just so you know, increased labor costs, you know what that means? That means like, hey, if we made the products in America, we would have had to pay the people a living wage. Because in that industry, in that particular industry... You know, um, it costs more to make it in the U.S. than it does in China. And the idea of heightened regulations as well, you know, they could be referring to, like, child labor laws. It's possible that you have very, very young people working in the factory in China making this particular line of clothes. Yes, in the U.S., we don't allow children to work. And in the U.S., we like to have at least some bare minimal standards when it comes to – Working people. So they're admitting in their response to the controversy that, well, yeah, we'd have to pay people a little bit too much here. And by the way, how much? I don't know. They're probably thinking like $10 an hour is too much, which actually isn't even a living wage. They'd rather pay somebody like a dollar an hour or whatever the hell it ends up being in China. And maybe even, it could even be people who are underage. But that's what they're saying. They're saying. Sorry, it's increased labor costs and it's um, heightened regulation. That's the reason we got to go overseas. And they also said it's small. I mean, every small business faces this in this country. What do? No, small businesses are usually localized. So small businesses usually are run by people who make a middle class income, and they have maybe two or three people working for them, and it's all people from the town, from the city that they're in. This idea that, oh, yeah, all small businesses sit down and they're like, hmm, when can we outsource our production to China? That doesn't happen. So she's doing the exact same thing that she rails against. The thing that she rails against is these out companies outsourcing jobs, and, yeah, Trump is fighting to get the jobs made here, and then she launches her athletic wear line, and it's immediately just outsource all the jobs to China, and then responds to the controversy by saying, well, what do we have regulations here we have we have uh you know minimum requirements in terms of pay and that's i'd rather not uh, deal with that well then i hope donald trump slaps a tariff on your sorry ass and by the way just so we're clear the stuff about oh my god trump is fighting for made in america even that's not true it's not true because donald trump he did this like symbolic made in america week where he had these people come to the White House, and they had, oh, here's my invention, and we make this product all in the United States of America, and so on and so forth. But he, he did not not sign an executive order, which could have mandated by law that the federal government only buys products made in America. He didn't sign that. He's still keeping in place the same policy that was in law, even under the Obama administration, where made in America means us and all of our allies. So technically, you could have something that's made in Israel. You know, or even China, because uh, on paper they're still an ally, even though we're having a trade war with them at the moment. So you can have something made in China, have something made in Israel, have something made in any of the other countries that we're buddy-buddy with, and that counts as made in America, and the federal government can buy all that stuff. No. It, the federal government should only use products that are literally made in America. And would that help our economy? You bet your ass it would help our economy. The federal government has to buy a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff. So if if he signed that executive order, then I would be giving him credit because he would deserve credit in that instance. But he's not doing that. And just so we're clear, his tax bill, the Republican tax bill that he signed and he pushed for and he was in favor of, that incentivized outsourcing. It incentivized outsourcing. So it's all nonsense where he's doing this symbolic like, oh, yeah, I'm all pro-American and made in America and all this stuff. And then doesn't do any of the actual policies that would really move us in that direction. And what Tommy Lauren is doing here is perfectly indicative of that same mindset, where she uses it as a talking point. She uses it, you know, to try to check off the pro-America box in her rants. But the second she she hops into business doing something here with her own line, guys, I can't stress that enough. Her name is on it, and it's called Freedom. And it's made in China. And then the response is basically. Well, what we do you want us to do? We're a small business, so obviously we've got to do no, Small businesses don't outsource to China. They don't do that. And it's up to heightened regulations and, you know, like uh, labor pay requirements and whatnot. And I just, <laughs> what, what do you want me to do? We're, we're trying to work in America. By the way, at the bottom, it, it cut off the bottom there, but at the bottom it says, um, oh, if you're in this business in the U.S., get in contact with us. They ain't going to do business with anybody in the U.S. They're not going to do it. I'm predicting now that they won't do it because it would cost a lot more money to manufacture here in the U.S., which means they would have to charge even more money. And by the way, it's not cheap. Even though it's being made in China right now, it's not cheap. So the large profit margins on this stuff. Um, But if they made it here in the U.S., it would be a smaller profit margin. And my guess is um, she is not okay with that. So what do you know? Turns out another uh, conservative is a giant fraud. All right, now we're going to make fun of Trump for his new project that he launched. So President Trump officially launched Space Command which I believe he's previously referred to as Space Force. And uh, you're about to see a little part of the ceremony here.
9: To establish the United States Space Command. It's a big deal. As the newest combatant command, Spacecom will defend America's vital interests in space, the next warfighting domain. And I think that's pretty obvious to everybody.
1: Is it? That's obvious? Space is the next warfighting domain. And we're going to defend America's vital interests in space. What are you talking about? Are we going to have wars over colonizing the moon and colonizing Mars? Is that what's going to happen? Is this what we're going to do? You know how much space forces are going to cost? They say it's up to $5 billion per year. Now, here's my prediction. You can hear me now, quote me later. It will be way more than that. They will throw way, way more money at that. How am I so confident in making that prediction? Well, very simply, look at the normal military budget. They just threw another $80 billion on that bitch, and nobody blinked. $80 billion a year, on top of what we're already paying, so it's over like $700 billion a year. And nobody blinked. Nobody said anything. The media wasn't like, how are we going to put Nobody said anything. So this they go, yeah, it's up to five billion a year, minimum ten billion a year, minimum ten billion a year. And can you can we please reflect on what we just heard? Donald Trump, the reality star president, is casually talking about space command. He's launching space command. The reality show president is launching a branch of the U.S. military in space, and he's casually saying, "Well, this will be the next war uh, domain." You do realize if there is indeed a war and we, and we have one in space, that would coincide with the end of humanity. Because a war is not going to be limited to just space. If you attack Russia in space or you attack China in space and they attack here on Earth and the nukes are in the air and we're all done. Game, set, match. Look at how casually they talk about this stuff. And look at their priorities. They're talking about war in space. War in space. At the same time, we have at least 500,000 homeless people in this country, at least 50,000 homeless veterans, an economy that's crumbling, a stock market that's about to absolutely tank, wages have been stagnant since the 1980s, infrastructure – did I mention infrastructure crumbling? If I didn't, I'll mention it again. If I did mention it, you're getting it twice. Infrastructure crumbling, Um, uh, mass incarceration crisis. Again, the list goes on and on. Of all the – giant problems that we have here. And we have endless money for the military and now we're starting a branch in space. And nobody on TV is shrieking about the cost, the price, hey what about the misplaced priorities? But Bernie Sanders comes out with idea to eliminate all medical debt and all of a sudden. I get pay for that. <laughs> <laughs> So obnoxious! Oh my God, it's so obnoxious! And they have a ceremony, like it's a big positive thing, and we all agree to it. I didn't fucking agree with this. What are you talking about? Space command. We got the reality show president is launching Star Wars. <laughs> he just said, or you know, the next wars are going to be in space, and everybody knows that. It's pretty obvious to everybody. The next wars are going to be in space. It wasn't obvious to me. And what are you like again? What is the vital interest you're talking about out there? Is it colonizing the moon? Is it colonizing Mars? It's amazing how the instinct of a superpower of an imperial power is always like more expansion, more domination, more control, more fighting. Talking about wars in space again, as our own people are being totally neglected and screwed over here at home and we don't it's not like we don't have unlimited resources and look at what these resources are being diverted to. Think about all the energy, time, money That's going to be invested into this notion of creating a military branch in space. So we had, you know, during the Cold War, we had, you know, the race to land on the moon first. And then now it's going to be a race to create a military branch in space, which is a giant waste of resources. It's not even like you would think that we would be rational enough where the idea is. Let's try to like, solve climate change because our world is going to become uninhabitable in the future, and so we should put energy and resources towards this. No, we're still at the phase where that's even denied that it's happening, but we have at least $5 billion a year to go to an unnecessary space command, which is – we're talking about war in space. So it's not it's not obvious and clear to everybody that climate change is happening, and that we need drastic World War II-level action now. But to Trump, he says, well, it's pretty obvious to everybody the next warfighting domain is going to be in space, so we're obviously creating a space command. Duh. I never understood why people will love, like, fiction novels, for example, because I always felt like, why would you want to read about something that's fake when reality is stranger than fiction? Am I right? I mean, look at what's happening here. Reality is legitimately stranger than fiction. We have the President of the United States, who was a reality show buffoon, who was born with a silver spoon in his mouth to a massively rich daddy. He has a really low IQ, and this dude is running the country and casually doing a signing ceremony talking about Space Command, where we say, oh, wars, we're going to have wars in space, bro. There'll be wars in space, but, you know, whatever. That's what it is, wars in space, and we're going to defend our vital interests in space. Oh, God. We need to reverse course, and we need to do it immediately. We can put the, the Star Wars aside for a second, Space Wars aside for a second, and maybe focus on all of the insane problems that we have here, and we can fix them. And by the way, I'm not anti-NASA. I'm not anti-space exploration. But to frame it through the lens of, well, we got to do it because there's going to be wars in space and we got to defend our vital interests. Oh, boy. Here we go again. It's militarism, 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 neglect, everything else. And, oh, yeah, a Green New Deal, which is based on a new New Deal, or which is based on a New Deal, I should say. Um, You know, a massive mobilization effort to move towards green and renewable technology and create millions of good-paying jobs across this country. That's insane. That's so stupid. That's so dumb. (laughs) But space command to fight wars in space and defend our vital interests. That's totally common sense, man. Totally cool. Remind me who the silly people are again. So the Trump administration is continuing to crack down on immigration in a very uh, over-the-top and unacceptable way. Children born overseas to some American parents serving in the military or working for the federal government may no longer automatically claim U.S. citizenship if their parents had lived in the United States for less than five years, according to a new federal policy issued Wednesday. Instead, officials said those parents must apply for citizenship on behalf of their children before they turn 18 years old. U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services, which processes citizenship applications, said it rescinded a policy that allowed some members of the military and government employees to easily transmit citizenship to children born overseas because it conflicted with other policies in federal law. The policy takes effect on October 29th and applies only to children born afterward, officials say. So really reflect on how loathsome this <laughs> is. Because this is is really low. This is bad. They're saying, um, if your parents are serving in the military, and they're overseas, and you happen to be born in that circumstance, you're not automatically a U.S. citizen. So, your parents are in the military, nominally, fighting for the United States or participating in helping those who are fighting for the United States. And that's not American enough to Donald Trump and to his administration. It's not American enough that your parents are putting their lives on the line for the country. That's not American enough. And it's it's the nuance trolling here. Well, if they had lived in the United States for less than five years, even if they're serving in the military for this country, it's still not, your kids are not going to get automatic citizenship. Now, this is bad enough, but we've also covered stories in the past where, and I don't think this happened just under Trump, it also happened under Obama. There were deportations of U.S. veterans. Let me repeat that. Deportations of U.S. veterans. Why? Well, in in most instances, it was because there was a violent crime committed, but there were Some instances, plenty of instances, one particularly coming to my mind now under the Trump administration, where it was a low-level, nonviolent drug offense, and they deported somebody. A U.S. veteran, low-level, nonviolent drug offense, was deported after fighting for this country. I mean, come on, man. That defies all logic. That defies all reason. And, you know, you would think the right – don't you want to incentivize people to be in our military? But what you're saying to them is if you're a U.S. citizen but it's less than five years and you're overseas serving this country and you have a kid, that kid is not American, well, then it's going to disincentivize people from joining the military. Maybe I should be cheerleading it for that reason because I don't want people going to die fighting overseas. I think it is terrible. I think we should end all the wars. Um, But as a matter of principle – Look at how gross that is. And you see You see stories like this nonstop. You've seen a massive uptick in the deportation of people who are undocumented, but they're not criminals. And that I find that totally unacceptable and uh, a gigantic waste of resources. And it's just a slap in the face to basic uh, human rights and basic moral values i mean that's really not too much to ask if you ask me and you tell me hey kyle i got this person who's a a, a violent offender and they're also an undocumented immigrant can we deport them i say sure no problem but if you're telling me i got this person here who's of no harm to anybody has been a productive member of society and been here for a while and but they're undocumented so we're going to ship them out I mean, think about the ideological commitment you have to have to that position to ruin people's lives in the process. Think about how deep down that rabbit hole you've gone to the point where you say, even if you're serving this country, your kid is not American enough because you weren't here for five years, even though you're serving this country. It's almost like certain kinds of people, they can never earn their stripes in the minds of Trump and his merry band of vicious idiots and... His far-right supporters. It's almost like there's something else that's motivating their ideology here. And listen, in more honest moments, they'll tell you. They'll just say it. You know, "Uh, we we don't want any people coming here from shithole countries. Interesting, because he thinks all the black and brown countries are shithole countries. It's almost like he just wants white immigrants. It's almost like he just wants white citizens. It's almost like he's trying to foster that through policies as much as possible. I mean, that's what they see, man. That's what they see. To them, to somebody who's on the left, who's actually on the left, the way they view skin color is just its totally arbitrary. It's like the way you view eye color. You're not going to judge somebody who has blue eyes versus brown eyes, whatever it is. You're just not going to judge them on the basis of that. You judge them on the content of their character. But let's be honest. To a lot of these people on the far right, Sometimes it's not, even, it's not like a conscious belief. It's like a subconscious belief. But they do. They judge people based on their background, based on their skin color. And that's why a lot of these policies are geared in that direction, geared towards limiting the people coming from shithole countries, you know, and, and maybe increasing from white countries. And, again, they'll deny it at the top of their lungs that, you know, their ideology is motivated at all by race. But we, we've we seen the evidence over the years, and it's overwhelming. You know, we've seen all the fear-mongering about undocumented crime. They bring diseases. There's a dark history attached with that fear-mongering about, oh, they bring diseases. They used to use DDT, that toxic chemical, to you know, treat people who would come through uh, the southern border to work here in the U.S. and then go back. They used to spray DDT on them because the argument was, oh, these are dirty immigrants and they all have life. Now, they didn't, but it didn't matter. There was a process by which you'd stand in like a gas chamber-like thing and they'd spray DDT on your face and on your clothes. A lot of people got sick as a result of that. But that was the policy because the default assumption was Illegal immigrant, brown skin, dirty. The other one is illegal immigrant, criminal. Now, I've shown you the statistics on this show. It's actually not true because, uh, you know, there are more, you're more likely to be a criminal if you're a native-born American citizen than you are if you're an undocumented immigrant and a documented immigrant. All categorizations of immigrants are statistically much less likely to be criminals. But that's not the narrative you hear, is it? The narrative you hear, non-stop, is that they're criminals. Trump's, uh, oh, they're, they're Mexico's not sending their best. They're, they're criminals, they're rapists. I assume some are good people. Again, statistically, the overwhelming majority of them are not criminals, and native-born American citizens are much more likely to be criminals. But that's not the narrative you hear. And then they'll do cheap, vicious propaganda of taking an instance, one instance, of a, an undocumented immigrant who is a criminal, and they'll hammer that away like the angel moms that Trump loves to put out there, and that's to create a narrative, guys. And that narrative is they want you to believe that they're all criminals, they're all dirty, they're all criminals, and we got to do something about it, they're ruining the country. And there's the old divide and conquer as well. You try to get middle-class white people to blame poor black and brown people for all their problems. That's what you do blame them no 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 don't look at the don't look at the tax bill we just passed which is going to raise taxes on everybody making $75,000 a year or less over a 10 year period don't look at that don't look at that don't look at that don't look at that Don't look at the you know gutting of the estate tax and cutting the capital gains rate and don't look at the massive deregulation of Wall Street which they're gonna again crash the economy and run out the back door with all the money don't look at that don't look at our violent militaristic policies. Um, in, in Iran and in Venezuela. Don't look at all the countries we're bombing and the massive amounts of money we're wasting on the military. Don't look at the 93,000 jobs that have been outsourced, even though I pretended like I was an anti outsourcing president. Don't look at the fact that I'm fighting to keep the minimum wage low and I'm against the minimum wage increase. Don't look at that. Don't look at any of that. You know who's, you know who's responsible for all your problems? Fucking black and brown people, man. Don't worry, though. We're going to take care of it. We just introduced a new policy. That policy is going to say, even immigrants who are serving this country, fighting overseas, not American enough, not American enough. They have kids. They're not necessarily American. They're not American. There's a get in line, bro. Get in line. Oh, you're serving the country. You think that makes you American enough? Says who? No, no. Don't worry, middle class white person. We're here to protect you. they even though they'll deny it. Deny it till the cows come home. There definitely is a racial aspect to this. And it's vicious, and it's dumb, and it's wrong, and it's bad. And um, unfortunately, it's not like the Democratic Party proposes a very strong, robust resistance to this. Because they called Obama the deporter-in-chief, and he broke the record on deportations. And there really is... There are very few politicians who really have a humane approach to immigration. Now, again, I already explained to you guys, I'm fine with deporting undocumented immigrants who are also violent criminals. Totally fine with that. But outside of that, we should have a humanitarian policy when it comes to the border, when it comes to immigration. Uh, We should have a very reasonable process that treats people with humanity and dignity. And that's not too much to ask for. But we are so far away from that policy at this moment between whether it's the kids in cages, whether it's what we're looking at here with the move to say even if you're a service member, you're not American enough. It's beyond screwed up, and it's going to take a long time to undo all the damage that's currently being done. Let's talk about impeachment. So there's a slow impeachment drip currently happening day by day in Congress, and I want to keep you updated on the number here, and uh, also this is MSNBC having a conversation about the issue a little deeper than that. Let's watch.
5: The growing movement to impeach President Trump, 41 more Democrats coming out in favor of impeachment since Mueller testified before Congress in July, bringing the total number of House members supporting an impeachment inquiry to 135. Just this week, after reports Trump offered to pardon aides if they had to break the law in order to speed up progress on a border wall, A top Democrat on the House Judiciary Committee said that issue would be added to ongoing proceedings about whether to impeach Trump. Meanwhile, the slow burn of the growing impeachment caucus continues. One additional Democrat, Lori Trahan of Massachusetts, got behind a move toward impeachment after Mueller's testimony. Ninety-six Democrats are calling for an impeachment inquiry. Ninety-eight House members back an impeachment inquiry. A surge of congressional Democrats. The impeachment caucus is swelling to 108 members.
7: 116 Democrats, if you're counting, takes you up to 117 House Democrats. If one more Democrat comes out in favor, it's half of the caucus. I feel we can no longer wait.
5: I feel compelled to call for an impeachment inquiry against President Trump. I do not come to this decision lightly.
8: The American people deserve the truth. A majority of House Democrats are now on record
7: publicly supporting an impeachment inquiry. The number of Democrats supporting impeachment inquiry now
1: 124. 126. NBC's count now up to 133 Democrats. That brings the number of House lawmakers backing impeachment to 135.
5: I'm joined now by Tennessee Congressman Steve Cohen, a member of the Judiciary Committee. It's good to see you, Congressman. You have supported impeachment since late 2017. Why do you think that now, almost two years later, so many of your colleagues are changing their minds?
7: The, the Democratic base is very much in favor of impeachment. The Mueller testimony really was um, eye-opening to some in that it showed clearly that five of the um, obstruction charges had all the constituent elements had been met and that there were ten, and so arguably you had ten obstructions, but five, all the elements were met, and that there were over a hundred contacts with, the, with Russia and, and the Trump campaign during the election. And while there might not have been uh, a conspiracy, there was uh, cooperation and welcome of the Russian uh, involvement and all those things together but the Democratic base has made a lot of people come out to say they're for an inquiry. I'm all for an inquiry, and I'm pleased to see 135 people there. I think I was second or third in the Congress to come out for impeachment, not for an inquiry. Because I don't think while it's important that we get the facts out there at hearings, and that's what we can have to really influence and show the public the need to impeach this man, there's no question he's committed innumerable impeachable offenses, and he should be impeached. We're beyond the stage of simply having an inquiry.
1: Yeah, but here's the thing, dude. You know that that's not going to happen. He's not going to be impeached in the sense that it's not going to get through the Senate. In order for impeachment to actually happen in the sense that the way we uh, colloquially use the term of impeachment, is in everybody's mind it's like, oh, the president has to go. Like, we impeached him. He's gone. He's got to go. The only way that happens is if two-thirds of the Senate agrees. So you have this, like, trial-like thing that happens in the Senate – And then two thirds of the Senate would have to agree. Yeah. You know, he, he, he committed the crimes. He's got to go. The chances of that happening are 0%. Zero. I'm not even giving it 0.1%. I'm not giving it 0.1%. I'm not giving it 0.01%. I'm not giving it 1%. It's a 0% chance it gets through the Senate. There's no chance at all. Not even close. So since there's no way you're going to actually remove him from office. So what's the point here? You want to You want to get it through the House. Now, is it possible you get it through the House? Yes, it is possible you get it through the House. Absolutely, you can get it through the House. Um, But if you know it's going to die in the Senate, and you know that the headlines are going to say for three days straight, you know, Teflon Don wins uh, impeachment in the Senate, and that gives him a round of good press, and his poll numbers go up, as we know from previous examples, like with Bill Clinton, well, I don't know why you would do that, because even though you don't think you're handing a gift to Trump, my argument to you is, no, that's, it's, it will be empirically proven that you indeed did give a gift to Trump if you go down the road that you want to go down. And I think that's what's a little frustrating for me in this conversation, is that if you say they shouldn't impeach, it's painted as, oh my God, you're being soft on Trump or you're being pro-Trump. But in reality... The whole point of the argument I'm making is to say, oh, my God, you're making a giant strategic error where you will actually help Trump. And I'm so convinced of that because, again, there's a 0% chance it gets through the Senate. It dies in the Senate. So Donald Trump will remain president. And then even the media organizations that don't like him are going to have to run the headlines and run the article saying Donald Trump survives impeachment in the Senate. So he's not going to have to step down. Not going to happen. So then what the fuck is the point? Again, what's the point then? What's the point? You get it through the House, you can pat yourselves on the back, and then it dies. So you can get your day in the sun in the House, but then Trump gets a much bigger round of positive press later in the Senate that will help him, and his poll numbers will shoot up. Don't Like, don't act like that's not the likeliest scenario, because that is the likeliest scenario by a long shot. So it's just annoying that, like, in their anti-Trump fervor, they're not allowing the conversation about how it will unfold to even take place. It's just, like, mindless. I'm going to cover my ears. I'm going to act like Kyle just didn't make that point, didn't say that. And I'm going to pretend, like, it's a tough thing to do to just try to impeach him. Now, okay, putting aside this aspect of the conversation— And I could go on and on about this part forever, but putting it aside, let's talk about if they were to do impeachment, okay? So if they were to do impeachment, how should they do it? Well, my answer is basically the exact opposite of what they're doing now. The Democrats are so dumb, it's like, it's impossible to wrap your mind around how politically impotent they are, because... You can't have a situation like it is right now where it's like a slow drip of a few people every day, like, oh, okay, yeah, impi-. and by the way, no they're not, a bunch of them are just saying impeachment inquiry, not saying impeachment. So it's just like, oh, let's all jerk each other off in a committee session and talk about how bad he is. <laughs> like, that's, that's basically what that means. But if you were to do impeachment, you cannot do it where it's like a slow drip over time, and then eventually it's like two months from now, they're like, yeah, impeachment, let's do that because you would have to do it as soon as big news hits of a high crime or misdemeanor he committed. So, in other words, you would have to you would have to do it like as soon as he blocked um, you know, the move to stop arming Saudi Arabia as they're committing a genocide in Yemen. As soon as he blocked that, you know, maybe Everybody gets on the same page in the Senate, That all the Democrats in the Senate, all the Democrats in the House, and you just hammer home over and over and over and over and over. Donald Trump took money from Saudi Arabia, hundreds of thousands of dollars, at his hotel, and now he turns around and gives them money, gives them weapons, and then allows them to commit a genocide as we support them. Babies are dying in Yemen. Babies! So... There's no, like, you can't have the thing that, um, that he did here. I forget his name, Cohen, Representative Cohen, whatever. Um, you can't do what he did, which is like, oh, well, you know, hey, there's obstruction, and then there's emoluments, and then there's this, and then there's You got to get one issue, all agree to it, hammer home on that one issue. You can't do the like, well, there's a little bit over here and a little bit over there. I'll give you specifics on none of them. I'll make an argument for none of them. And I'll just say amorphously, we need some sort of kind of impeachment. That's what we need. Like, as terrible as the Republicans are, they know how to play politics. They know how to strategize. They know how to have a meeting with the entire caucus and get everybody on the same page and then go. And they all start hitting the same point. They know how to do that. The Democrats are just a fucking mess where it's uh, every other, every day, every other day, a couple more for impeachment. They all have different reasons that they're giving for impeachment. And, you know, when when he – he even says, as he's arguing this president should be impeached, he even says, well, you know, hey, the Russia thing, even though it, quote, wasn't a conspiracy, welcome to help. So, you know, like bad enough, and so we should probably impeach. No, 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 you – you don't even sound convinced of the argument you're making. How do you expect anybody else to be convinced of it? You would all have to get on the same page. Like, as soon as there's a big story that breaks, you know, my, if, if you were to go down the impeachment road, my argument would be the one I just made about, oh, my God, Donald Trump just vetoed a measure to stop a genocide. Why? Because he's serving Saudi Arabia and doing whatever they want because he's taking money. At his hotel from Saudi Arabia, that's a clear violation of the Emoluments Corruption Clause in the Constitution, and it's leading to the deaths of children, of babies. So if you were to do impeachment, that's how you'd have to do it. As soon as a big story breaks on the worst issue for Trump, you take that, you all get on the same page, you hammer it home, you leave no room for misinterpretation or somebody not understanding exactly what you're fighting for, and then... You drive it home, and then you act, okay? Uh, and again, I, it's not going to get through the Senate, so I would advise the Democrats against doing this in the first place. But if you were to do it, that's how you have to do it. You can't have this every other day. A new person comes out, and it's half the caucus, but of the people who are for impeachment, only half of them are really for impeachment. Only some are for an impeachment inquiry only. It's not enough. And in the end, you're going to end up helping Trump. And that's the final point I'll make in this story, which is, dog, the election is like seven and a half minutes away. Do you really want to, like, two months before the election, have a whole round of headlines of, like, Teflon Don survives again and and beats impeachment in the Senate? Is that what you want? Is that what you want? If the Democrats – you want to know how you guarantee getting rid of Trump? I'll tell you. If all the Democrats get on board and agree, you know what? We're done with our milquetoast, centrist, corporatist nonsense. We're all going to fight for Medicare for all. We're all going to fight for free college and a living wage and a Green New Deal and legalizing marijuana and uh, ending the wars. We're going to fight for all of these policies which help working people, which would fix this country. And we're all going to back Bernie Sanders. And we're all going to campaign and fight as hard as possible for Bernie and for that policy agenda. That's how you guarantee Donald Trump loses. But you're not going to do that because this is what I call resisting without resisting. It's so easy to pat yourself on the back and say, I did something good. I said Trump's bad and we should impeach in the House. And then we did that and then it died in the Senate and he got positive press and that's going to help him in his reelection campaign. Fuck. What have I done? (laughs) So... It's easy to just say, like, oh, yeah, he's so bad, impeach him. Really? What's the reason? Well, this person says obstruction. This person says Russia collusion. This person says maybe emoluments. This person says something else. This person doesn't even want impeachment. They just want the inquiry. You guys are all over the place, and you have no idea what you're doing politically. So I'm telling you, listen, even if you don't agree with me, the person listening to this on the substance of what I'm talking about in terms of impeachment and whether or not we should do it, you have to agree that politically – They're not going about it the right way, which is why I wanted to have this conversation about if you were to do impeachment, this is how you'd have to go about it. And basically, it's the fundamental opposite of what they're doing with their slow drip of impeachment, and everybody's got different reasoning, and not everybody's really for impeachment. Some are for an impeachment inquiry, and the arguments are all over the place if they're even providing any arguments. It's just a mess, man. And this is not how you resist. This is not at all how you resist. And it's kind of embarrassing. Okay, so now we're going to go to Chris Hayes and um, how much he has fallen, man. Chris Hayes has fallen from grace. So the reason that this uh, next clip that you're about to watch is so frustrating and so depressing is that Chris Hayes, in my opinion, used to be a much different person and um, a pretty good commentator. He, He would cover some very serious issues, and he kind of stood above a lot of the other hosts on MSNBC. And in recent years, he's just not the same. And funny enough, he wrote a book about the exact same thing that's happening to him, which is this like kind of groupthink culture in the media. And there's no doubt that he's now been impacted by the same dynamic that he objectively described previously. So here you're going to see him and by the way, I want you guys to send this clip to Chris Hayes because I don't I don't mean this maliciously. I don't mean this in a negative way. I I mean that it's very very sad that this is what's happening now and this is the level of commentary on his show. But um here he is repeating this honestly nonsense talking point about, you know, Obama being relatively scandal-free, and here's the biggest scandal of his presidency, and talking about the tan suit. So let's watch, and then I'm going to explain why this is honestly inexcusable, unacceptable, and how Chris Hayes should do a new segment being crystal clear and going on the record and saying, you know what, what I said wasn't true. Here are the real scandals under Obama. And hey, maybe some of these things are the reason why the Democratic Party became unappealing to many people, and then that could have helped Trump and helped the opposition. Take a look.
7: It is a good reminder of how relatively scandal-free his presidency was. As our friend Pete Souza reminds us today, this day, August 28th is actually the anniversary of multiple shocking Obama-era scandals. On this day in 2010, President Obama went fly-fishing and had bad form this day in 2012, he fist-bumped two people at once. And on this day in 2014, we saw by far the biggest scandal of the entire Obama presidency, the tan suit. Well, the president is so natalie attired, <laughs> uh, normally. The, I, I think it was shocking to a lot of people. Shocking indeed. That's thing, two in 60 seconds.
1: By the way, the segment goes on. He gives more examples of the people talking about the tan suit. And he said it there, the biggest scandal of the Obama presidency. I went and I read the comments on this YouTube video, and it honestly it's sad because he's misinforming his audience because they're saying like they agree with that sentiment. Yeah, this is the biggest scandal of Obama's presidency. Are you kidding me? Now listen, I've been fair to Obama. I gave him, I did a segment where I gave him a credit card, uh, a credit card, um, a report card, and I listed here are all the positive things Obama did and here are all the negative things Obama did. And there's plenty of stuff in the positive section there's certainly good things he did where we should all give credit, whether it's the Iran deal, whether it's um, the Cuba deal, where we kind of moved away from the insane embargo of the country. Like, there's a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff that he deserves credit for. And I'm more than willing to give credit in those areas. Uh, You know, in his last term in office, towards the end, he kept freeing nonviolent drug offenders, pardoning and commuting sentences. Wonderful, deserves a lot of credit. But Chris, you know that that's not the biggest scandal of his presidency. You know that's a nonsense talking point of partisan hacks. You know that, so why are you repeating it? So what are some scandals? I don't know, maybe the Flint water crisis? Now, this is where Chris Hayes and many others would say, yeah, but the Republican governor was more responsible for that. You know what? Fair enough, I'll give you it. But don't tell me he bears no responsibility. He's the president of the United States of America, and that was going on, and he could have done more, and he didn't. Okay? So that's one thing. How about pushing TPP relentlessly, even as Hillary Clinton was on the campaign trail, the you know the Democratic candidate for president, and you have the current Democratic president pushing for TPP, which would lead to more loss of jobs, and Trump, the Republican, is out there doing his fake populist nonsense pretending he's against all these terrible trade deals, and he's for working people. By the way, President Trump, He did kill TPP, but he slipped a lot of the provisions, the worst provisions of TPP, into his renegotiation of NAFTA. There's been 93,000 jobs outsourced under Trump. So he's not like some sort of populist pro-worker president, but the fact that the current Democratic president was pushing for another terrible trade deal, as the Republican was acting like the trade deals are terrible, and that's the message that resonates in the Rust Belt where Trump won, which made him win the election, seems like a big deal to me. A Democratic president pushing for a terrible trade deal. How about the expanded NSA spying? That's a giant scandal. And you can't act like that didn't happen under Obama. He massively expanded NSA spying. How about not prosecuting torturers and war criminals in the Bush administration? Which uh, We look forward, not backward. By that logic, nothing can be a crime ever, because every crime, by definition, happens in the past. So protecting war criminals, that seems like a little bit of a scandal to me. How about not prosecuting any Wall Street criminals when they just did the subprime mortgage crisis and that led to the Great Recession? How about bailing out Wall Street with no strings attached? This, This isn't a scandal, this is a giant scandal! The only way you guarantee Wall Street is not going to do what they did is to punish them for it, is to put people in prison, the people who broke the law. But they didn't do that. They made a decision not to do that. How about the fact that he deported a record number of people? Now, the counterargument to that is, hey, man, a lot of them were criminals. Okay, fair enough. So it's not just undocumented immigrants. It's undocumented immigrants who were also criminals. Fair enough. Uh, You know That's not terrible, but – There were also a lot of nonviolent offenders who he deported. That I'm not okay with. And there were also people who just weren't criminals. They called him the deporter-in-chief. Is that not a scandal? I mean, again, this is stuff that the left cares about. But when Obama did it, now we act like he didn't do it, and that's not a scandal. That's a giant scandal, and probably the worst scandal of all is the illegal drone strikes, expanding the drone war massively, escalating in Afghanistan, and actually... Killing a 16 year old American citizen in a drone strike. And then when his administration was asked about it, the response was, well, the guy should have had a better father. What? No, no, no. No, 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 no. Are you kidding me? This is an American citizen, 16 years old, and you killed him in a drone strike. And then you act like it was no big deal because his father was potentially an Al Qaeda terrorist or certainly uh, believed in jihadists. But we don't kill people for the sins of their parents. That's insanity. And if you're going to kill anybody in in this country, you need to have due process. No due process. He had kill lists. According to some reports, 90% of the people he killed with drones, innocent people. Civilians. And according to Chris Hayes, the biggest scandal of the Obama presidency, by far, was the tan suit. Chris, I'm, I'm disappointed because I know you're better than this. And I know you know better. So send this segment to Chris Hayes and tell him, don't be rude about it, don't be mean about it, but just say, Chris, please watch the whole thing. Because I think he needs to do a retraction. And I think he needs to apologize. And I think he needs to say, no, 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 here are the real serious issues under Obama. Um, These are the real scandals. And I shouldn't downplay them. Because a lot of this stuff is incredibly important. And also, yes, be honest. Some of this stuff could have led or helped lead to the election of Donald Trump. I'm not exonerating the people who voted for Donald Trump because they're bigots and they want to see bigoted policy implemented. Those people exist. We have a name for them. We call them TFGs on this show. Stands for Too Far Gone. I'm not a clown, Chris. I get it. There are some people who are bigoted and they voted for Trump because he was voicing support of bigoted policies like the Muslim ban. Like, you know, saying that Mexicans are criminals and rapists. So I assume some are good people. I get it. A lot of TFGs. I get it. He wants stop and frisk all over the country. And when you look at that, it's massively racially biased. I get it, Chris. But that's not the only answer in the conversation as to why Trump won. It's not just the bigotry. It's also the fake populism, the tap dance, pretending like he's going to help workers. It's 70,000 votes in the Rust Belt that led to his victory. And the Democratic president was pushing for a shitty trade deal at the time when that region of the country knows NAFTA, permanent normal trade relations with China, all the trade deals screwed them. And now there's dilapidated factory towns over there. And you have a Democratic president pushing for another free trade deal. And the Republican is on the campaign trail against it. Don't tell me that some of these things didn't help Trump because they did. And I think you know they did. And you definitely know the biggest scandal of his time in office was not the tan suit. You're better than that. Apologize, retract it, and do a segment covering the real scandals. All right, final story of the day. So CNN is fear-mongering over North Korea, and they're really, like, trying to lay the foundation and the framework for military conflict. Take a look at this, and then I have quite a bit to say about it.
9: New evidence tonight that North Korea's ambitious young supreme commander may soon have another submarine to command and a new way to threaten the U.S. New satellite photos just published by the website Beyond Parallel show what appears to be new activity at the Sinpo South shipyard in North Korea, where Kim Jong-un's regime builds many of its submarines. Two support submarines, a larger sub and a so-called midget sub, are parked there, along with another support vessel. There's a crane, a vehicle in one photo, and people at the dock. Analysts believe it all could be to support this, an enormous nuclear capable submarine being built or renovated, which Kim was photographed inspecting last month at a nearby location. Experts say the shipyard activity could mean the North Koreans are preparing for a crucial test.
8: The purpose of this vessel may be to take the test barge out into open waters and test a submarine launched ballistic missile.
9: CNN talked to a top Pentagon official about the new pictures. We see very uh, uh, in, intentional modernization on the part of uh, the DPRK. What concerns you about the development of that submarine? Well, you know, if you if you extrapolate far enough, they're, they're uh, looking to, for a capability that uh, uh, makes them a, a, a more uh, potent adversary. Another senior U.S. official has told CNN the U.S. has been tracking the development of this sub for a year and a half. Kim successfully test fired a ballistic missile from a smaller submarine in 2016, a vessel which experts say could hold one nuclear tipped missile. This larger one, they say, could hold three or more. These subs give Kim the ability to launch nuclear missiles that would be harder to detect in advance, and analysts fear he's trying to develop a longer range submarine.
8: They could potentially, within the next decade, develop submarines capable of transiting the Pacific Ocean within range sufficient to launch missile strikes against the United States.
1: So let me explain to you how this propaganda works, because it's incredibly insidious. At the end there, you saw that guy talking, ooh, he looks like a serial, he looks like an expert. I mean, look at him, calmly, rationally explaining what's going on here. Uh, and oh, you saw such a legit-sounding organization—the International Assessment and Strategy Session. Wait, let me make sure I got that name right. International Assessment and Strategy Center. I said session. I meant center. Um, that sounds so legit, right? Neocon agency. And in fact, that agency, that center, is tied to also very, um, very prominent anti-Muslim bigots like Frank Gaffney, who's like an insane person who makes up these crazy conspiracy theories and, you know, fear-mongers about, like, the Muslim Brotherhood took over during the Obama administration at the highest levels of our government. This is the organization, this is the agency, the center, that they're portraying on CNN as, like, serious, objective people talking about this issue. Again, International Assessment and Strategy Center. If they... They don't, they don't say it, but it almost sounds like a branch of the government, right? It's not. It's not a branch of the government. It's this like, military-industrial-complex-funded group of people pushing a, an ideology, and that ideology is more war, U- United States being the world's sole superpower, and engaging around the world, which is code word for bombing, controlling, asserting dominance, so this, this is how this propaganda works, and they do this all the time. And I've seen this on other um, news networks, too. They'll have, like, a, a retired admiral or some shit come give some commentary and then come to find out, oh, my goodness, he's currently being funded by Raytheon or Boeing or some other military industrial complex company. Well, that's a conflict of interest. Obviously, they're going to keep pushing for more war. Their employer wants more war because they make more money when there's more war. They don't tell you any of this stuff, man. This is how this propaganda works. By the way, the banner on the bottom of the screen, what does it say? North Korean submarine could threaten the United States. This is fake news, and here's why this is fake news. It's because it's no context news. If you're talking about these issues and you give no history and no context, that is effectively fake news because you're lying by omission. There are lies by commission and there's lies by omission. This is a lie by omission. Because what you're not saying is the history of the region. What you're not saying is the United States has been the aggressor. And the only reason that North Korea might still want these kinds of weapons is deterrence and self-defense. Now, that's not to excuse the regime and say, oh, they're good domestically, too. No, they're vicious. They're vicious. They're authoritarian. They treat their own people like absolute garbage. They have fucking concentration camps. Not downplaying or overlooking any of that. All of that is true, but it's also true that there ain't no damn threat to the United States of America. The idea that they would offensively launch on the U.S., are you insane? Kim Jong-un knows what would happen if he did that. He knows North Korea would be blown off the map and he'd be dead in a matter of under an hour. So to say North Korean submarine could threaten the United States, nonsense. He knows what happened with Gaddafi. Gaddafi saw what happened to Saddam, and he goes, whoa, 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 oh, okay, here, take all my weapons, take all my weapons, just leave me alone. And what happened? We took his weapons, and then we helped topple him anyway years later. So what, what are, what's he supposed to do here? Is he supposed, oh, yes, America, I will never be involved in any creation of nuclear weapons at all. I'm going to advertise to you and advertise to the world, I'm a sitting duck. And then we probably go make up some bullshit and then go topple them. So he would want weapons simply as a deterrent to the United States. But it's always framed as aggression. Always. Go back and watch this segment. They don't give you a, a, even a little hint that, hey, maybe there's a, a, a geostrategic rational reason for why he's doing this. It. No. It's always framed as like the lunatic, the madman. Oh, my God. What's he doing? Oh, my God. Weapons. They could threaten the United States. They could threaten the United States. This is the same kind of nonsense when they pretend like Iran is a threat to us or Venezuela or Cuba is a threat to us. No, no, no. We're the threat to them. And, again, that's not to excuse any of these countries domestically and how bad they are domestically. But internationally, we're the world's sole superpower. We're the bully on the world stage. We're the people who've been doing illegal and offensive wars. Don't pretend like he has any interest in launching against the Los Angeles. He doesn't. He only wants these weapons for a deterrent. And that's crystal clear, and they'll never tell you that on CNN. Instead, they trot out these international assessment and strategy center goons who are neocons who are going to push for regime change no matter what. So it's abysmal, and it's embarrassing, and don't believe the nonsense. Okay, we're done, baby. Love you guys. I'll talk to you soon. Everybody enjoy the rest of your day. Peace.